Psalm 107. In a moment, we're going to start reading in verse 23. In a couple of moments, we're going to start reading in verse 23. Um, Between sermon series, I have chosen to address some current event issues. Sometimes the schedule kind of allows for that. And um, I think it's important for the for the church to see how the Bible is relevant to issues that are going on in our lives, things that we see in the news, things that we read in the papers. Does anyone read papers anymore? Um, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's why they still print them, Doris. And uh, <laughs> now, uh, so <clears throat> I, I think that's important. I think it's also important for the church to res- be able to respond powerfully and effectively to um, issues that cause turmoil in our culture and in our society. And um, so, I've chosen to address some of these current event issues over the last two weeks. We saw how the Bible clearly and effectively um, informs us as to the issue of racial equality. We saw over the last two weeks from Scripture how racial bigotry is absolutely incompatible with our faith. And anyone claiming an affinity with Christ and expressing hatred towards his handiwork is not living in the truth. So, I think it's also important for us to recognize that so also anyone fomenting violence in the streets and claiming some position of justice is doing so um, from an equally false position. We saw how the world is full of deceivers on this subject. And we must be the light. We must speak the truth with confidence and know that God's love will make the difference as we allow his love to shine through us. So today I want to shift gears a little bit. That's it. That's all of my preaching of last week's sermon. (laughs) Today I want to shift gears a little bit and address another current event that has been in the news. You may, on this much safer side of the country, not pay much attention to the hurricane-ravaged east. Um, I know when I went to college back east, um, I'd tell people I was from California, and they always had two things they brought up. One of them was, oh my goodness. The ground's always shaking over there, isn't it? Have you ever been in an earthquake? Like, yeah, well, it's California, so yeah. They're the most awesome thing ever, as long as you're not right in the middle of it. <laughs> and they say, oh, I could never live out there with all the ground shaking all the time. And then, for a couple of months out of the year, you hunker down in the basement in fear of your life because there's hurricanes headed towards you. <laughs> anyway, we, we tend to, to not realize the devastation that can be caused by these storms being out here in, on the, uh, the, the weather-blessed West Coast. 
Um, however, when the devastation reaches the levels that it has recently reached, there's a tendency to ask about God's place in all of this. Does he even know what's going on? Did he send this storm? Is it out of God's control? Has man caused this by using fossil fuels? Is this something that government can fix? You know, like any crisis, this one, many, many will use this one to accomplish other purposes. Theories will be set forward that propose very familiar solutions. Somehow, we will be able to solve the hurricane problem by increasing the size and power of government. That always works. So, how does... I'm being facetious here. I'm trying to inject a little humor into it. I'm not being political. Just about everyone in government does that, so... How does... I'll try to talk into it a little bit more. Okay, so how does the Christian respond to this? Remember that God created government for the purpose of wielding the sword for the protection of the people. And if this weather problem was caused by irresponsible or nefarious people endangering the environment and other people, then quite, frank, quite frankly, this is a problem within the purview of government to solve. So what we need to know is what causes hurricanes. Say, so, Pastor Josh, this doesn't sound like a Bible study. This doesn't sound like a sermon. Don't worry. We're going to get there. I'm just laying out the context, all right? So we need to know how our environment got to where it is and how, if possible, we can fix it. Some of these issues are not addressed in Scripture. But where the Bible does speak on these issues, it speaks authoritatively. So let's start with how God designed it all to begin with. Genesis 1.1 reminds us of the beginning of all things, about 6,000 years ago. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Unlike the unscientific theory of evolution, in which the origins of our planet had fiery beginnings, it seems our planet had watery beginnings. Science actually confirms this, and our watery planet is truly a joy to inhabit because of it. We see that God made and used water as part of the raw materials in the formation of our planet and our universe. They're even finding water on Mars. Isn't that amazing? I think that's cool. All right, so from the last verse of, 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 of this first chapter in Scripture, we see God's opinion of his creation, that it was very good. 
Genesis one thirty one. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. From this record of God's opinion, and from what science reveals, I believe, I think this is important as we try to establish a biblical response to weather anomalies, hurricanes, stuff like that. I believe that God's design was a stable one. From what we can tell from Scripture and and science, the weather was beautiful and stable on that sixth day of creation. There was not likely any massive storms of the nature of Hurricane Harvey. Y'all read about Hurricane Harvey? You see that? My goodness. They call, they're calling it the most expensive storm that ever hit the United States. The biggest, most powerful, destructive storm that ever hit the United States on record. Isn't that amazing? Fifty-some inches of water. That's a lot of water. That's not my notes. It was a... It was a... The, the, the original system that God created was a permanent and self-sustaining cycle that reflected the infinite skill and wisdom of God. Remembering that God's primary attribute and character is holiness, he deigned it appropriate to set standards of holiness for his sentient creation. And to be true to his own nature, God set forth this law. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. And of course, since every law must have a penalty for its disobedience, the penalty was made clear for in that day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And man did die spiritually the day that he partook of the forbidden fruit. And passed on the same fallen nature to his progeny. Man's spiritual death and subsequent sinful nature set off a chain of events that would eventually result in a world filled with sinfulness. That which was made originally beautiful and stable had become violated and damaged. At one point, this world became so wicked that it became necessary to cleanse it. And these were the days of Noah. The Bible tells us that such wickedness prevailed that there was only one family left who still followed the Lord. Look around you. Does it seem sometimes in a small church, in a small area, that we're outnumbered by the lost as Christians? Does it seem that way? You haven't seen anything like what Noah lived in. The entire world with a population greater than we have today. One family left. So, the Bible tells us that that as there was only one family left that still followed the Lord God and his great grace and mercy gave the world 120 years during which time Noah preached about the coming judgment 
120 years is a pretty long grace period, right? I mean, I'm happy to find out I've got a grace period for paying my bills, you know. <laughs> 120 years, that's pretty good. But then the grace period was over. God miraculously brought animals to the ark, shut Noah and his family safe inside his salvation, and then the waters that had once made the weather of this world stable became its destroyer. The fountains of the deep were broken up, and the water from the atmosphere collected violently to the globe until every square inch of land was covered in water. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 17 says, And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth, and the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark went up went upon the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth. And all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. For a hundred and fifty days, the ground was covered on earth. And geological discovery has found this above all other geological discoveries to be true. But then the waters subsided. In Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1, And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the, and the waters assuaged. That's an automatopoeia. Um, the, the, <laughs> some of you have no idea what I just said. Catch me after. It's a grammar geek thing. The fountains also of the deep and the winds of he- and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters returned from off the earth continually and after the end of the 150 days the waters were abated. Now, This is important because this explains Hurricane Harvey. Okay? So stick with me, all right? As those waters abated, the world that was unveiled was different than the one God had originally created. It was no longer stable, it was volatile. Immediately, there was an ice age. Icing a great portion of the earth. Studies show that extremely warm oceans and very cold continents would have resulted in a worldwide ice age. And something called hypercane, something that we have never had, we've never seen, something we don't have on record. Something called hypercanes with winds of up to 500 miles per hour swept across the globe, developing over that warmer water and pushed back by the cooler continents. As glaciers slid into the ocean and carved the landscape of Earth, the continents shifted to where they are today, and the weather of Earth became a little more stable. The globe was warming, and it was a good thing. However, like a pendulum, Set into motion by the flood of Noah's day, the climate has swung back and forth through several historic ages. We know from scientific discovery that about 900 years ago our globe was warmer than it is now. 
swung back. Then another little ice age struck about 500 years ago. Thankfully, we've enjoyed a warming trend over the last 400 years, which is likely to come to an end. The pendulum of climate change will continue to swing back and forth as it was set into motion by the flood of Noah's day. I believe the biblically informed context to the climate of our planet is helpful in avoiding deception and knowing how to present the truth about our changing climate. Our most recent storm, Category 4 Hurricane Harvey, was caused by the recent short cooling trend that we've had on land. The cooler continent mixed with the warmer ocean made for a truly terrifying storm. Now they say Hurricane Irma, a Category 5 storm, is barreling up the Atlantic Highway towards Cuba. Storms of this nature are scary things, especially if you're in the path. From a biblical perspective, they are the byproduct. If you, if you, if you take away anything from my introduction, which is the fruit of hours and hours of study of many documents, Take away this one, one sentence, all right? From a biblical perspective, that these storms are the byproduct of a worldwide flood that man brought on himself by allowing Earth's culture to become characterized by violence and sin. Our text today gives us the appropriate Christian response to this phenomenon of stormy weather. Let's see what the Bible brings to our present circumstance. It is a psalm from which I have uh, found my life's verse, but we'll, we'll start further into the chapter where the setting is the ocean and those brave men who make their living thereon. Psalm 107 and beginning with verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships, they that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, they they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. For this passage that does so powerfully challenge us to understand your purpose in the storms of this world. Both the literal storms and those storms of life that we go through. Both caused by sin. 
We just pray, Lord, that you would help us to surrender to your will and to see your greatness in the midst of the storms of this life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's important to to see purpose in the storms that are in the world today. And yes, I'm kind of going back and forth between literal storms and figurative storms, right? Because they are a lot alike. They're both caused by sin that started way back in the Garden of Eden. And they're both destructive. You've had storms in your life that have have scarred you, right? That has taken away things that you love. That's what storms do. They're a product of sin. It is not always your sin either, is it? So the storms of, that are in the, in the weather today, they're, they're not a direct result of current sin. They're a byproduct of sin a long time ago. And a constant reminder that sin has consequences that go on and on and on. But I think it's important as Christians to be able to find meaning in all of this. To, to, to in the midst of the storm, be able to see the purposes of God. So I have just a few things from this passage that show us the, the, the purposes of God in the storm. And the first thing that I'd like to point out is in verses 23 through 25. Just take a look at that. It says, They that go down to the sea in ships, they that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. You know, um, verses 23 and 24 speak of how sailors see different things than we on land see. Right? How many have been out on the water in a, in a boat? On the ocean? In a boat? It's pretty amazing out there, isn't it? I, 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 have, I didn't go out very far um, in, a, in a small boat, uh, but you almost immediately feel just completely exposed and at the mercy of something a whole lot stronger than you, right? <laughs> and a uh, little 17-footer that I was on, um, there was times the, the waves were high. There was times when you couldn't see anything but the water above you on both sides. And it's kind of a terrifying thing. You see things out there from a completely different perspective. Those who make their lives on the sea know that the sea must be respected. It has power to destroy ships and breed storms of unfathomable magnitude. Out there on the ocean, there's, there's no windbreak. The, wa- the raw power of the storm is seen and felt. Out there on the ocean, a boat feels the fury of a storm like it is focused on them. And sailors will admit this and say that it kind of goes with the territory. Sailors that go out after their first storm are better men than I am, Gunga Din. <laughs> if there's a correlation here, we must admit that we are all on the sea of life. And, and we experience storms as a matter of fact. It comes with the territory. There will be a time when we come ashore but not before experiencing the fury of a few storms. 
Verse 25 positions God as being in control of the storms. Look at verse 25. It says, For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. You know what we see here? That God is in control of the storms of life. Here's some things that you should know about the storms in this life. There is no storm that is out of God's control. He sets limitations on them. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That there's no storm that has... I mean, have you ever had something that you started kind of get out of your control? Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's part and parcel with being human. We get things started and then they kind of get out of our control and, and we think, man, I don't know what I'm going to do now. <laughs> God, God has never reached that point. Everything he has started is still within his control. He sets limitations on the storm, the Bible tells us. He tells them how far they can come. Every wind, every drop of rain, every wave, God limits. This means that God is more powerful than the storm. The first thing that we can see in the purpose of the storm is the storms of this life show the power of God. When we, when we look um, at a storm like Hurricane Harvey and we see the power of how it, it levels buildings and, and drops just millions and billions of gallons of water, raising developed territory, destroying hundreds of years of, of human development, we say, oh, that is a powerful storm. Don't ever forget this. It was never out of God's control. And that means that God is more powerful than the storm. That is a great purpose in the storms of this life. It's not gotten out of hand. And it never will. I mean, to, to, to use this by way of an illustration of the storms that we have in our own lives, this must have been a great comfort to Job. God had to remind him that he was, in fact, in control in the midst of Job's storm. I know some of you have been through some incredible storms in your life. Stuff that I can't imagine being strong enough to go through as you have. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I don't think there's anyone here that's been through what Job went through. That's why that, that illustration of Job is so good. We can all say, well, yeah, that, that, I was, I'm suffering, but I'm not suffering like that yet, right? Here's God's response to Job's despair. Where wast thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof that thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut up the sea with doors when it brake forth as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and thick darkness as a swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. You know, God just told Job, 
Job, I'm in control of every aspect of your storm. There's not a storm on this planet that, that has a single wave or drop of rain that falls any further than I intend for it to fall. The storms of this life show the power of God. The power of a storm at sea is a phenomenal thing. But nothing compares to the power of God. The storms of this life may seem out of control, but their power is only illustrative of the great power of God, and no storm is out of His control. The next time you're awed by the power of the storm, remember that there is no power that did not originate in God, and His power is far greater than that of the storm. The psalmist communicates this well in Psalm 93. The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. The storms of this life give opportunity to show the mighty power of God, and therein they have purpose. These storms do cause problems, though, don't they? And in our text points this out in verses 26 and 27. It says, they mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. This is speaking of the sailors. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. The sailors in the midst of the storm are pictured here in verses 26 and 27. Have you ever felt that way? As the storms of this life lift you up and then you come crashing down even lower than ever before? Have you ever felt cast down from the height of a wave and feel as if your soul is melted because of the trouble that you're experiencing in your life? Have you ever staggered in this life from the blows of the waves and reeled aimlessly like a drunken man? And I don't mean because you've been drinking. You brought that storm on yourself. But sometimes the storms of this life, they just leave you aimless. Unable to even walk a straight line. Have you reached the end of what you know? I I love the way um, it's put there in the last part of verse 27 and are at their wits end. How many of you ever said, I got so much going on in my life right now. I'm just at my wit's end. (laughs) How many of you live there? Yeah. (laughs) Well, some of us have short wits. And so it doesn't take long to get to the end of them, you know. This is the nature of living at sea. Storms get the better of us. They stretch us to our limits and beyond. They put us in positions of helplessness. And perhaps that is where we need to be sometimes. Because then there is no option 
but to fall on our knees and beg God for help. What great purpose these waves have. They beat against us until we have nothing left. They sap our strength until we come to the realization that we cannot survive without God's help. We're not meant to. We are created to be dependent. Quite frankly, I cannot explain why it takes the storm to bring us to this place of helplessness. But I can attest to the need for storms. I I can't tell you why we tend to feel that we can handle life without his help. But I am thankful for the storms that remind me that I need him. I think of Peter on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus could have, when he said, come to me, Peter. He could have calmed the sea between him and the boat. But he didn't. Peter walked to him in the storm. I mean, it's a great thing to walk on water. But Jesus knew that it is a greater thing to know by whose power you do so. It's fine to tread the waves, but woe to him who thinks he does it under his own power without the need of God's help. And if a constant state of almost drowning is what I need to remember that I need God, then bring on the storms. These storms of life have great purpose in highlighting the help of God. And we have such a tendency to live our lives when things are going well It is as if we throw the supports away. We say, I don't need, I don't need God as badly as I did. We forget what made us so strong. And our relationship with Him sometimes tends to wane. And then we wonder, whoa, what brought this great storm? Perhaps it was to bring us to our knees so that we might appreciate the help of God. The third thing that I see in our text in the the second part of verse 28 says, And he bringeth them out of their distresses. Verse 29 says, He maketh the... He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. The third thing that I see is the, as a purpose in the storms is that the storms of this life are opportunity for God to bring peace. 
Five times the Bible refers to our God as the God of peace. He brings peace where there was only conflict before. He's where we find peace when we're in the midst of the storm. You know, nowhere do we find uh, that peace is always the absence of conflict. It's rather the presence of calm. Our God brings peace into stormy lives and he does so by different means. Sometimes he calms the sea around us. And sometimes he calms us. Nevertheless, the context of the storm was God's opportunity to be highlighted as the God of peace. The one from whom all peace comes. In Psalm 89 and verse 9, the psalmist says, Thou, thou rulest the, the raging of the sea. When the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. In Matthew 8 and verse 28, we know this familiar story, and he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The fact that God can bring peace in the midst of the storm is one of the great purposes that we can find in the storm. Just knowing that we will be brought to that great haven someday. You see that in the last part of verse 30? So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Can I tell you something? There will be times when the water is glass and there is peace on the sea of life. That's not most of the time. The, the, the ocean is characterized by storminess more than it is by peace. But God brings those moments of peace to remind us from whom all peace comes. And to remind us that someday our boats will come to shore in the haven of heaven. <laughs> and only there will there be permanent peace. So just knowing that we'll be brought to that great haven someday where there are no storms that threaten to undo us brings great peace into our hearts. And when that peace comes and you're catching your breath, you may wonder what purpose God had in all of this. And our text closes out with the answer. You see it in verses 31 and 32. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people. And praise him in the assembly of the elders. You know, there is no more powerful circumstance in which you can praise God than in the middle of your storm. When you are in the midst of your storm... Praising God shows your confidence in the one who has power over the storm. That can give you strength in the midst of it. Remembering this, that nothing has ever been accomplished that is greater than glorifying God. It's what God has been about from before he spoke the worlds into existence. 
It's why he spoke the worlds into existence. That he might be glorified. And if my storm, if in the midst of my storm, I can glorify God, then what a, what a great opportunity to praise him in the midst of my storm. Our God means to be praised by his people. So praise him in the storm. Praise him in the calm. Praise Him for who He is that never changes. Praise Him when you're alone and in need of companionship. Praise Him when you're gathered together with His people. Praise Him in private. Praise Him in public. Praise Him when it costs you everything. And praise Him when it costs you nothing. Praise Him because He found you worthy to endure a storm. Praise Him when He brings you through another storm. Praise Him when you come to the end of yourself. And praise Him because you'll never find the end of Him. Praise Him because it is your place and your purpose to bring Him glory. And you'll find no greater thing to ever do with your time or your energy, or your everything, than to praise God. Storms give us opportunity to praise Him. Don't miss that opportunity. The fact is, storms come to the children of God in this life. And the children of God have Him to turn to in the midst of those storms. But storms also come to those who don't know God as, at all. That's the nature of living on this sea of life. Sin has brought so many storms into this day and age. The people that don't know Jesus as their Savior, they suffer storms as well. And perhaps... You're going through a storm in your life. And you say, I don't know what it's like to turn to God for help and actually get that help. Forgive me for putting it this way, but perhaps you've just been doing it all wrong. The fact is, God has made a way to come to him. And it is through Jesus Christ. And he's provided a way for you to stand in his presence, dressed in his righteousness. So that you can, in your life, glorify him with every aspect of your life. And if you have endured storms and not known the peace that God can bring, maybe you need to come to him through Jesus Christ. And, and if you're not sure what I'm talking about, well, let me just quickly explain. The Bible says that we all find ourselves, first of all, in the same situation. We are all sinners. As sinners, we cannot approach the throne of God. As sinners covered in our own imperfect righteousness, the Bible says they're like filthy rags. We are not fit to enter into the presence of God. 
Bible says there's even a penalty for our sin. The wages of sin is death. But like I said, God has made a way to come to him. And it's through the person of Jesus Christ. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So while we fall short of the righteousness we need to step into his presence and have that great communion and fellowship with him that results in us having peace in the midst of our storm, there's a way that we can be made righteous. We can wear the righteousness of Christ. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus has offered us his righteousness because he bore our sins on the cross. Look, if you've never come to God through Jesus Christ, accepting God's gift of salvation in the person and work of Jesus Christ, then let me tell you something. You can do that today and then be forever joined with him in a relationship that the Bible says is absolutely eternal and permanent. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation, and I would challenge you, if you don't know if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, look, I would love to help you get that settled today. We're going to sing a hymn entitled, I Surrender All. Why don't you stand as we sing this together, and look, if you'd like to learn more about accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, just come and sit in the front row so I can show you from my Bible how you can do that today. Get your eternity settled and begin a relationship with him that will be profitable and glorifying of him in all of your storms of life. I surrender all to Jesus. I surrender on that first stanza. opportunity.